If you'll turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're making our way through 1 Timothy here. And we began last week with verses 1 through uh, 7. And uh, we looked at elders, and we briefly looked at uh, the role of women, and, and we will look at that again today briefly as we begin in verse 8 with the role of deacons. And as a point of review, you'll see on your handout there, we said that elders, there were two leadership positions in the church, and elders and deacons. And we said that an elder, elder is a servant leader, who is called by the working of the Spirit of God in the heart of a man. And their job is to set order. It's to bring about order. It's to put the church in order. And we said that there were a couple of responsibilities of that elder. And they, they were to lead under the authority that he has been given in Christ, that they were to look after and care for the church, that they were to instruct people with regards to the Word of God, that they were to also model godly behavior. And we, we have clear characteristics, clear uh, qualities of a, of a man's life that would qualify them to be an elder. And we looked at those, and, and, and we won't go over those again, but they're there on your handouts, and I believe Melissa gave them to you with the, with the handout filled in. But today, that leads us today to, to deacons. And, and it's interesting... A lot of questions can come up with regards to these qualifications, and these qualifications can be uh, can come across really strict if we're not careful. They can come across in a lot of different ways, especially in the era that we live in and the day we live in. We love to emphasize grace. We love to emphasize inclusion. We don't like to exclude anyone. We we don't want to do that. We, we these can come across really harsh in today's culture. And what we have to remember, we, we cannot forget that, that the church, the bride of Christ, the flock, whatever you want to call it, the people of God, we, we belong to God. He, he is holy. 1 Peter 1 says, therefore, as your father, as God is holy, be holy. And, and all throughout the church's history, all throughout Old Testament New Testament, the leaders of the church were to be set apart. I was thinking about it this week, and as I was studying, and I was re reading Leviticus 21 and 22, and I was doing a study on Leviticus, and just the idea of, of holiness. Even that idea has, has really lost its sense of understanding in the world today. The, the challenge for us is we really don't have any examples to lean on to say, okay, that's holy, because only God is holy. Now, in the gospel, in the gospel, He's granted that upon us, He's declared that upon us, we're righteous through the blood of Jesus. And again, in 1 Peter 1.15, He says, Therefore, as your Father is holy, as God is holy, you be holy. He's quoting Leviticus 11.44 there. God's standard hasn't changed. The reality is in the gospel, God declares upon us that holiness that we could never earn on our own. It literally means the word there, it's set apart. It can be perfect. It can mean, it can mean perfect. It can mean without, without spot or wrinkle, without blemish. Perfect. And, and I was reminded in, in Leviticus 21, and I was reading it, and again, listen, listen to, the, to what... God set apart for the standards of the priest in the Old Testament. L listen to this as we move into, as we trans transition from elders to deacons. He says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priest, the son of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall defile himself for a dead person among his people except for his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother and his father and his son and his daughter and his brother, also for his virgin sister who is near him because she has had no husband, for her for her he may defile himself. He shall not defile himself as a relative by marriage among his people and so profane himself. He shall not make any baldness on their heads. I would be in trouble in the Old Testament. Nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts in their flesh. They shall be holy. Listen, verse 6. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God. For they present the offerings by fire to the Lord, the food for, of their God, so they shall be holy. 
Listen to it. They shall not take a woman who is profaned by harlotry, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband, for he is holy to his God. You shall consecrate him, therefore, for he offers the food of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I am holy. Also the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by harlotry, she profanes her father and she shall be burned with fire. You see the, the, the greatness of God's holiness here. The priest who is the highest among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil has been poured and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head or tear his clothes, nor shall he approach any dead person, nor defile himself even for his father or his mother. Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing of the oil of God is on him. I am the Lord. He shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow, or a divorced woman, or one who is profaned by harlotry. There, these, he may not take, but rather he is to marry a virgin of his own people, so that he will not profane his offspring among the people. For I am the Lord who sanctifies him. He goes on and, and even into, even into verse chapter 22, but again in verse 23, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. The, the call, what I'm saying is the call is for holiness. And especially among the leadership. Set apartness. It's not a common task. It's not something that's just to be held commonly or treated commonly. We're literally leading the people of God. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, says, follow me, that he would be an example. So, so when you come to these qualifications, and you see these qualifications, understand that we're, these leaders are representing their God who is holy, and they're to be holy. They're to lead people in holiness. This, it's not a common thing. The, the priests in the Old Testament were very set apart. The highest, the highest level of moral integrity and holiness was required of them. And I think that's what Paul is communicating under the inspiration of, of the same God here in 1 Timothy 3. With regards to elders and with regards to deacons. You're to shepherd the flock. And you're to lead them not only pursuing holiness, but you're to lead them through your own holiness or pursuit of holiness. Granted, again, God has made us holy. He has declared us holy, righteous in the gospel. Therefore, we can have fellowship. We can enter into God's presence. Why? Because He is holy and unholy people cannot enter into His presence. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's, it's why, again, 99 out of 100 Sounds good on our standards. Guess what? 99 out of 100 is not holy. In God's eyes, 99 out of 100 is unholy. Holy is perfect. Therefore, therefore, somebody had to be holy on our behalf. So again, I'm not saying that these elders or deacons are perfect. I'm saying that they, they ought to be set apart. There ought to be something different about their lives. And it's perfectly okay for God to call upon that. It doesn't mean that God can't use you. It doesn't mean that you can't serve if you don't have the title. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that you just might not have the title. But you can serve. We saw it last week. Every Christian is called to be a servant. Matthew 20, 28. Uh, for, he, for, for Jesus did not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. All throughout the New Testament, take up yoke and follow me. Die, die to self. The reality is we're all called to be servants, and yet some will bear the name deacon. Some will be bestowed the title of elder. And we said that, again, elders were servant leaders. They were to lead the church. And, and the, second, the second group of leaders that we see here, beginning in verse 8, you'll see on your handout, are deacons. And whereas elders are servant leaders, deacons are leading servants in the church on behalf of the Lord. Leading servants. And here's what, I, here's what I mean by this. If you were to turn over to Acts 6, you would see what is the beginning of the role of deacon. 
most people believe that here is where you find the beginnings of the office of deacon, its roots. And he says in verses 1 through 7, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily service of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So, so you see the elders are saying there, Look, these other tasks are going to take us away from our primary task. So he says, Therefore, brethren, select among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. What task is that? Of serving and caring for the widows. Of serving and caring for the needs in the flock. Of serving and meeting the needs of the people. Why? So that the elders can continue studying the word and praying, praying over the flock. He says, but we will devote ourselves, the elders, if you will, to prayer and the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Perminus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And look at verse 7, just as when, when, when the church functions properly, when, 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 we, when we stay in our lanes, if you will, he says, the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The, the word elder, the word elder literally could mean waiter. It literally could be a picture of if you go to a restaurant when you leave here today and someone waits on your table, that literally would be a picture of what a deacon is, what that word means. It is a servant. It, it is a meter of needs. And again, the goal of this position was to free the elders up that they could preach and teach the word, and they would not, they would not be distracted, if you will, and I hesitate to use that word, but I'll use it, with these other responsibilities. Divvy up the responsibilities Elders would do this, and the deacons would do this. But both were integral. The, the church in Jerusalem was growing quickly. And, and in this growth, some widows and the needs of these widows were being neglected. And so they chose deacons to meet these needs so that the elders, again, could devote themselves to prayer and to teaching of the word. And so when you put all that together, you see on your handout, the role of a deacon is to address specific needs that arise in the life and the people of a church. It is a need meter. The challenge for us is if we don't see a very specific description, if you will, of, of the areas of oversight for a deacon. They're simply a need meter. It's very broad. It, it, it literally, when you look at Scripture, it would appear that the role of a deacon, their job was to meet whatever needs came up in the life of a church. Any needs that came up in the life of a church, the deacon would address, as varied as those might be. Why? So that the elders would, would, could still commit themselves to the preaching and the teaching of the Word. That, that's the role of a deacon. And through the leadership, through leadership, through elders and deacons, God has equipped His bride to, fully, to be fully devoted, not only to the Word, but to the meeting of the needs of the people. So that you'll be spiritually fed, physically fed. Your spiritual needs would be met in that you, we can help you grow spiritually in, in, in your discipleship, but also so that your physical needs would be met as well. And listen, both, both leadership roles, whether it's an elder, whether it's a deacon, both are vitally important. And in many ways, they complement one another. One is not necessarily supreme to the other in the sense that both are vital. Both are vital. It, it, both are servants. Both have specific roles to play. Both are hugely important. 
the deacons would serve their role again so that the elders could serve their role. And what you see here all throughout, throughout Scripture, when you see the elders, and you, or the deacons rather, you see it on your handout, deacons also, not only do they serve, but deacons also organize others so that they can serve. So it's not just about them serving. Here, here's, the, here's the dilemma. Well, I'm not a deacon. That's their job. They do hospitals. They do this. They do this. No, no, that's wrong. Deacons organize the church so that everybody serves. And in that sense, they're leading servants. That's why on the handout it says leading servants. They lead out in service so that others can follow. That's not their... You don't, you don't sit... Neither you say, well, you know what? It's Chris's job to do this. It's, no, that's wrong. It's the, it's the deacon's job. No, no, no. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ in here today, guess what? You're to be a servant. Whether you have the title of deacon or not. It's just that deacons... Deacons are leading servants, and they organize others so that they can serve. There, there was too much even, even in Acts there for just seven people, and there's too much now for just the ten people that, Lord willing, will ordain next week. And by the way, we had more than ten qualified men. But we picked ten, and then in a year, we, so that we would have others that could immediately come along. And, and we have specific roles and specific things that we as elders uh, want those deacons to, to, to empower them to do and to assist them. But, but we could have had innumerable amounts of deacons. I'm thankful for the qualified men here, but, but we picked ten. So that again, in a year from now, when the, when the term is up, we can start a rotation and all that. But, but they are leading servants. Their job is to organize others to rally the troops, if you will, to serve, to make sure that needs are met. Because here's the bottom line. All believers, all believers are servants. If there's a need in this church and you're aware of it, well, let me call a deacon because that's his job. No, meet the need. Meet the need. You know what? If there's something going on, let me call Chris and tell him about it. No, no, no. You meet him. Meet the need. If it's bigger than you, guess what? Give us a call and we'll rally the church around it and do it. But every single believer in here is to be a servant. Every single one. And that's one of the characteristics that really set Christianity apart from, from in its day was that it, what, the greatest among you, Jesus says, what? will be the least. They'll serve. The deacons were simply tasked with organizing this. We're organizing the service. That's, again, why we say leading servants. They led the charge with regards to meeting the needs of the church. And, and it was a, they were really, they were pace setters in service. And, and, and it, was an, it was an enormous task, the same, the same with elders. And Paul, because of the task, because of of. of what went into this, Paul, again, just like with elders, he gives qualifications. And that's what we see in verse 8. The qualifications and the rewards for deacons are very specifically delineated in Scripture. And, and when, we, when we bring all of Scripture together, what it teaches is really two overarching purposes. What I want us to see are two overarching purposes Really, for deacons. And, and, and the first one you see on your handout, deacons must understand the mission of the church, the mission of the church, and pursue it in their service. They're not pursuing it with their own agenda. They're not pursuing it in their own ways. They're pursuing it under the mission of the church. Meaning this, they're to be gospel-centered. They're doing it for the glory of God. They're doing it with the gospel in mind. It's not their own agenda. It's not for their own glory. Suffer their own praise. Deacons are, are, are doing what they do to help the church be effective in what it's been called to do, and that is to seek and save the lost, to make disciples, to, to, be, a, to be a light in a community. And, and when, when one of us has a need, this, the church ought to be quick to rally around that need and meet the need so that outsiders see that Matthew 5, 14 through 16, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And you can imagine for the church to have people from within its family who had needs, and those needs were not being met. 
that would have been a black eye. That would have not glorified the Father. So every, every Christian in here ought to be looking for ways to meet each other's needs regardless of what title you bear or not. That's why Hebrews 10, 24, do not forsake the assembling together as inhabitants of such, but again, come together and what? Encourage one another. Serve one another. No matter whether you bear a title or not. But everything was focused, again, on the mission of the church. It was to glorify God. This is about God's kingdom. And God's kingdom would be marked out by people within that kingdom having no needs. Of people sacrificing their own needs on behalf of another brother or sister who had a need. It would set the church apart. It would glorify the Father. It would make much of the Son. And we as a church, we as God's children are called to do that. To everything that we do is called to promote God's kingdom and the glory of the king of that kingdom. And the gospel, again, the gospel is the source. Why do we do what we do? Because we have been saved. We are recipients of the gospel. In the next few weeks, starting next week, we're going to lay out sort of a, a, a six-week plan where we're going to talk about uh, one of the key ministries of a church, one of the key marks of, of people in the church, and, and specifically it's going to be with regards to orphan care and with adoption. Kimberly Thompson has helped me put that together. We've bought books for every family to read, to do quiet times on their own for the next six weeks. Because again, in the middle of Timothy, what is a church to be known for? It's to be known for loving people. James 1, 26 and 7, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to what? Visit widows or orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In chapter 5, Timothy is going to lay it out with, with regards to widows and, and what a true widow was. And, and I'm hesitant to, use, to even use that word because it can be offensive. But again, if your husband has died, you're a widow. But then there were qualifications for how that widow became, got on a list to where the church would take care of them. And Timothy is very, he, he uses the word, this person is a widow indeed, if they had no family. Listen, if, if you have a widow in your family, you're their first line of defense. Let me just set, I'll just set the pace ahead of time. I'll give you an example. Unfortunately, my wife's, Jimmy's father died. Barbara Amorati, unfortunately, she's not here today. She's on a cruise, thankfully, so I can say this. She's on a cruise, so we, we got it easy. We just send ours on cruises all the time. That's what, hey, just get out of here. Get out of here. Leave me your dog and get out of here. It's easier that way. No. But listen to me. Here's my point. I'll own this. Barbara Amorati, as long as Karen and Jimmy and Allison and myself are alive, Barbara Amorati will not show up on the list of widows at Odessa. Why? Because she's my responsibility. She's Jimmy's responsibility. She's Allison and Karen's responsibility. And we'll see that. And, and a widow who had no children of a certain age, they, the church would take ownership and responsibility. But, so we'll see that in chapter 5. But leading into that, I want us to see how we have a responsibility as a church to take care of orphans. It's immensely important. We have an opportunity even here in Hillsborough County to make a huge impact for the glory and the gospel of God through that simple ministry. We can get real confused on a lot of things. Pure and undefiled religion is this. Widows, orphans, flee from sin. So we're going to spend about six weeks and talk about that. And try to start creating a culture where, listen, Josh and Katie, for instance, they may adopt a child, but you know what? When they adopt a child, guess what? All of us adopt a child. You may not bring that child into your home, but you can certainly support them in their endeavor. Clothes, food, taking those children so they can go out on a date night. They're just one man, and I'm blessed to be the pastor of a church. There's many examples like that. But the book is all in orphan care. We ought to be all in. And why? Why? To glorify the Father. Not to make much of ourselves, to glorify the Father. And the gospel, again, the gospel is the source. You and I have been adopted by God. That's the gospel. 
we, we can't repay him. We can't, we can't do enough to make him feel like he was warranted in adopting us. That's not the point. It's simply responding. That's why, that's why uh, orphans and widows is pure religion because they have nothing to offer you in return. You and I are very good at doing things for people who can pay us back. We're very good at doing things for people that can pay us back. We're very good at doing things that make sense. We're very good at th doing things that have a, an, a, a good ROI, return on investment. Widows and orphans in that day, had nothing, they had nothing to offer you in return. And again, just like the gospel, that everything that deacons do, the gospel is the source. The gospel is the fuel. It's the motivation. Everything they do is to protect the gospel, is to promote the gospel. And in response to that, deacons, just like elders, are called to have a Christ-like character in all areas of their lives. It's not only the mission to promote the mission of the church, but they have, a, they have qualifications and they have a character that is to be set apart. Again, this is not a second class of Christianity. This is not a second class Christians or maturity. Again, the qualifications that we see here, please hear me, we've said this, are called for for every single believer in Jesus Christ. Whether you bear the title deacon, elder, whatever, you are called to be holy. You are called to be set apart. You are called to live in such a way that the world, seeing your good deeds, they will glorify your Father in heaven. If we were to go to, to Titus, Daniel got done with the worship too early. He gave me too much time up here. Verses start coming to my mind. L listen real quick. Listen real quick. I don't want to say. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil y'all and give y'all like twenty minutes and y'all think y'all getting out of here early. But li listen to real quick. Listen in Titus two. Older women, younger women it says, "Be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to your own husbands." Why? So that the word of God will not be disordered, dishonored. Talks about men. You know what it says? It says, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the enemy will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. It talks about bond slaves in that. Showing all good faith, so they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. The point is the gospel. Whether you're a deacon, whether you're an elder or not, the point is the gospel. Everything we do is built around the gospel. And so these deacons, again, likewise, it says in verse 8, likewise, in the same manner that we just saw for the elders, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to wine or sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. Let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Again, almost same qualifications that we saw up there as elder. Very similar. Go to ver we talked about 11 ver last week. We can hit that a minute, minute. Verse 12, deacons must be husbands of one wife, good manager of their children, of their households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standard and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And again, if you were to, if you were to go down this list, again, he says they must be men of dignity. That word, that word literally means the opposite of being a clown or a goof-off. Here's the point. There ought to be a seriousness about their life with respect to the gospel. This is a man who takes his walk seriously. He bears the title Christian in a serious capacity and way. He, he lives to the best of his ability. He forms his life around the mission of the church. Dignity. It says, must not be double-tongued, not a people-pleaser. His yes is yes, and his no is no. He doesn't have different answers for different people. I, I told Karen yesterday, we went up to my cousin's wedding and, uh, this weekend, and we drove there Friday night, and Friday, or Thursday night, Friday night was the rehearsal dinner, and Saturday night was the wedding, and Everett is my cousin, and he had asked me to... Uh, he had asked me to perform the wedding, and for some very specific reasons that I explained to him, I had to decline. And uh, we were at the rehearsal dinner, and you know, I, I can battle with being a people pleaser as much as the next guy. 
I, I can love and crave the approval of man as much as the next guy. And we're sitting there and I told Karen, I said, man, I hope I made the right decision. Because every bit of me, even when I woke up Saturday morning, I'm just being honest with y'all. When I woke up Saturday morning, there was a part of me that thought, man, what if something happened to the dude that like he woke up and his throat was voice was gone or whatever. And I got to do this wedding. Just it's my cousin. I watched him grow up. He lost his father when he was eight years old. And my dad and I. He was like a brother to me. He was like a son to my father. But listen, because of the integrity of this word, because of the integrity in which I hold this title as pastor, as elder, there were some things in his life and in his, he, between him and his fiance that were going on that I couldn't just pass over. And I said, listen, if you'll stop this, if you'll just for a year while you're going to just move out, if you'll just have separate residences, if you'll just do a couple of things for me, I'll be glad. And they said, no, we can't do that, Chris. I said, well, I can't, can't do it. I can't stand up there and ask God to bless something that unrepentant sin. You profess to be believers, but, and I love him. And, and I'm telling you guys, it was a struggle. The whole time we were up there, I'm thinking, man, did I do the right thing? I mean, I'm standing, I'm talking to my aunt, and I told her, son, I won't marry you. She did, they did ask me to stand up and at the rehearsal dinner and pray for the food. And so I got a chance to, to speak there and, and encourage them. But this is not, it's not double-tongued. It's your yes is yes and your no is no. There's going to be the same things about our lives that the world says, oh, just do it, just do it. And I told Karen, as I, I know what I did was the right thing. And I said, listen, I could have a short-term gain for a long-term loss. And that's really what sin is. Being a yes man and a people pleaser and, and, and saying yes and no to different... No, no. Yes is yes and no is no. And, and whether, whether you're a deacon or not, the Bible says that very clearly. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't be double-tongued. It says, not addicted to much wine. This is a, a life marked by self-control. It's not a drunkard. Not fond of sordid gain. This, that's an individual who's not greedy for money. Who is, who is godly in how he gains, but also how he pursues and how he uses his wealth. In this case, think about it. The deacon, especially in that day, even, in, even at our church, we're, we're, gonna, we're working on creating a benevolence fund and some some means of, of funding that, and the deacons will be in charge of that. These need to be men that we can trust. These need to be men that we can, we can trust with the books, that we can trust with, with this account, that they're, they're, to the best of our knowledge, they're not going to be men that are tempted to keep the money for themselves. They're gospel-centered. He says this, that these are men that hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience this is a man who has a clear conviction regarding the central truths of the gospel and that he's obe he seeks to be obedient to those in public and private life that his life is lived in a way that's in line with the gospel we had our we had our deacons fill out questionnaires we we conducted interviews to the best of our ability we've tried to vet these guys out and again there are more men than we picked we, we sent it out to a bunch of people, not knowing how many we get, and we ended up with more, and, and, and we've got some that will, Lord willing, try to graft in next year, but the, the, we tried to adhere to these. Clear conscience can defend their faith, agrees with our doctrine. We said, hey, have you, read, the, read our bylaws, read our constitution, read our statement of faith, make sure you understand that. It says that this is a man who's tested. This is a man, what it means there, it's an observable track record. Saying, don't put somebody up there too hastily. Don't, don't force somebody in there too quickly. For their good and for your good. It says, a, an el, a deacon is a man who is beyond reproach. Same idea as an elder. There's nothing for Satan that, that you would say about that person's life that Satan has a stronghold on. That's what he's saying there. It's not that they're perfect. Excuse me. 
It's just that you, there's nothing about their life that you would say Satan clearly has a stronghold on. No, no clear, unrepentant sin. Verse 12, deacons must be husbands of only one wife. Again, there is a tremendous amount of disagreement on what that means. In the Greek, it literally means a one-woman man. And, and, and there are people that interpret that on a wide scale. But we as elders here, we're, we interpreted that and we're going to stick to the idea of, of it's an individual who has never been married. Literally, they've, they've never, I mean, never been married, never been divorced. And again, a lot goes into how you, and, and I'll be honest, uh, the, the people pleaser me would love to not go, but again, a person's theology of marriage comes into play when you interpret husband and one wife. And I get it that in Matthew 5, Matthew 19, you, you see, especially in Matthew 5, you see what's regarded as the exception clause that you cannot divorce your wife except for, for unfaithfully. And then it, it, it seems to point to maybe in 1 Corinthians 7, people interpret verses 14 and 15 to be, oh, okay, for grounds of abandonment. You can, hey, there's some hold to that. That's that, and that's fine for them. But, but if I can be vulnerable, I don't hold to that. I, I'll be very honest and vulnerable, and I, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm, that's my heart. My, my heart is so you know how we came to this conclusion. I have a hard time with that interpretation of Matthew 5 and 1 Corinthians 7. Because if you go to Mark 10, 12, there's no exception clause given. If you go to Luke 16 and 18, 16, 18, no exception clause given. Romans 7, no exception clause given. That's just my personal conviction. I don't think less if you don't hold that. I don't think less of you. There, there are men who, again, have written a whole lot more books than me, have pastored a church a whole lot more than disagree with me. Uh, that's okay. Here's the point. I'm going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account for my convictions. And I've got to be true to those. And we're not saying you can't serve if you've been divorced. We're not saying that. We just cannot, in good faith, give you the title deacon. And there are churches, again, who disagree with that. That's okay. That's okay with me. I can walk hand in hand. If that's the only thing we disagree on, we can walk hand in hand on that. But again, one woman man, literally in the Greek, one woman man. It goes on to say, in good managers of their children... And their households, good managers, why? Because the home is the training ground. The home is the training ground for us shepherding the flock. And the same thing he says for elders. And, and the point here, the point here is character. Character is first and paramount. Christ-like character. This isn't, let me take the Fortune 500 men let me take the men who have made a bunch of money in business. Let me take the men that everybody else was chosen. No, no, no. This is character. The qualifications are character. It's, it's gospel-centeredness. It's done for the gospel. It's not a, a jockeying for position. It's willing to lay down your life, willing to, to sacrifice yourself for the, for the good of the gospel, for the good of the flock, to promote the growth, to the growth, to promote the growth of God's kingdom. And in verse 11, just one more point. If I'm going to, I'll just rip the whole band-aid off here. Let's just offend everybody in one sermon. Visitors, it's been nice knowing you. Thanks for your one visit. Verse 11. The question becomes, what about women? Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. And the challenge is, what, what, what about women? And I want to say this on the front end. If, again, as I said, if you're a follower of Christ, you're called to be a servant. You're called to be a servant. There, there is no attitude in the church that says serving is for a certain group of Christians, but not for me. You're a servant. 
Or, or you know what, I'll only serve if I have a certain title. That's not a servant. All believers are called to be servants. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12 make it very clear. There are certain individuals that may be better at it. There, may be, there are certain individuals that they may hear of a need and, and God has gifted them where they immediately respond to that need with little prodding, little poking. You know, what, I, you know, Karen gives me a hard time. Like, I get that from my dad. If you tell my dad that you have a need, it will be done immediately. That's just the way he is. He doesn't think about what it's going to cost what the ramifications are, if you say, hey, you know what, I need to get this done. An example, we were coming home from the wedding yesterday, and I said, man, I need to scrape the, I need to scrape the windshield off. I, just, I was talking to myself. He was in the car. I'm talking to myself. I'm thinking, man, I need to scrape this windshield off. I got home, forgot about it. When I got in the car to drive home yesterday, yeah, guess what had happened? There are no bugs on the windshield. That's just the way he is. But, but every single Christian is called to serve. Deacons just lead out in the service. The, the reality is that servanthood is that qualification that best characterizes our Savior before watching world. If you were to go to John 13, he says, I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. By the way, he was talking to all Christians there, not just deacons and elders. We ought to be a people that are marked by, by willingness to wash each other's feet. By the willingness to do the most simple, mundane, uh, unappreciated task. Nastiest task. The question is, is that you? Is that, is that, does that describe you? When people think of you, do they think of a, a guy who will get it done? Not to embarrass him, but I don't think there's been a, a Sunday supper that's gone by that Raul Rivera hasn't emptied about every garbage can in that fellowship hall. That Tom Guthrie and his other, other guys and gals aren't in there washing dishes. It doesn't go unnoticed. We see it. There's more of you. In a, in a moment, I name a couple people, but what about me? What about me? Be careful. They don't, they don't do that for people to recognize them. They do that because there's a need in the church and somebody's got to do it. And they just take it, they just take it and do it. And that, that, is be, that ought to be what, qual, what characterizes all of us. Why? For the good of the gospel, for the good of the body, for the, for the glory of God in this community. The bottom line, as we've said it, all believers are servants. And with that being said, I want to explain quickly the discussion here and to give my answer and kind of give us a background. There, there is some, I, would t I will tell you, there is, I agree with people and understand it when they say there's some ambiguity appears that way as far as what Paul is saying here with regards to women. All of a sudden, in this discussion about deacons, from 8 to 13, he throws in women in verse 11. And he says, likewise. He's talking about male deacons, and then he talks about women real quickly in one verse, and then he goes back to male deacons. It would seem logical that he would finish talking about one group before he went on to another group. That would seem logical. And in this, with that logic being said, that is where people park and say, well, he's speaking to the wives of deacons here. That would be the argument there. They would say, well, he's speaking to the wives of deacons. And he just lists their qualifications as well. I was talking to a member here at Odessa, and we were talking about this verse, and he was saying at a church that he served at, if a, a, the, the husband... Uh, the, the wife of a deacon was automatically assumed that she would take on a lot of those roles just because her husband was a deacon and she would be vetted out as well. But if you, you can go to the other side of the argument, and that points to the fact that the word, if you were to follow this statement, this, this passage, the word likewise seems to be used by Paul every time that he sets apart a new group of individuals that he's speaking to. And then people will couple that with Romans 16, and you have Phoebe and, and uh, 
She's described by the word diakonos. That's the word we get deacon from. It's the Greek word there, and it, it seems to point to a deaconess role. But the challenge, the challenge for all of us, and I, without going too deep, I just want to understand that these, these, these issues are not easy. The challenge for us is the reality is that sometimes when you see the word diakonos, it's hard to differentiate. Are you talking about the role or are you talking about the title? Are you talking about the position or are you talking about a characteristic? Are they a deacon or are they simply a servant? And that can, be, that can be tough sometimes. Did Phoebe have the title deaconess? Or was she a female that was known for her service? That's the challenge. I mean, Paul mentions about 17 women that were vital to the life of the church at his day. And he gives, seems to give specific qualifications for elders and deacons and, and the same for those women. So... The other question would be, why aren't elders' wives mentioned? And so the question becomes, are these wives of deacons or are these deaconesses? And, and so the position, you know, how will we structure things here at DESA? And, and I, I, I was thinking about this. Life was so much easier when I was recreation pastor. Oh, it was so good. Brother, I had all kinds of convictions that nobody care about. Then nobody asked me about, nobody was calling me, nobody wanted to know what I thought. They were calling me, it just wasn't theological questions. They were calling me, arguing about rankings and all kinds of other nonsense. But you know, I had all kinds of, I, nobody didn't care about my, my conviction about marriage and divorce and elders and deacons. And it was easy to sit in the cheap, to sit in the cheap seats that day. But... Here we are, and, and I'm grateful. We as a group of elders, if you don't like what I'm about to say, email them. They share a part in this. But no, where we stand is this. As a church, we have chosen not to give the title of deacon to women. And, and I'll own this one. I, I don't ever want to train. I want to do everything I can to not transgress the bounds of this word. Hebrews 13, one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account for how I shepherded every single one of you. And I, get, I would probably, and I look at this, I'd probably, if I'm being honest, I'd rather not give you a title that you could have than give you a title that I shouldn't have. And I'm not in any way, I'm not in any way keeping you from serving what that doesn't mean is that women, you can't serve. Women, we need you to serve. We're, we are desperate. If this church is going to function the way it is, we need godly women to step up and give themselves over for the glory of the gospel. You are gifted in certain ways. You're qualified in ways that, that I would not be. And, and we need women to serve. And, and I would challenge every single woman in here, I would challenge you to be known as a Phoebe. Regardless of whether she had the title deaconess or not, what if you, what if you made it your ambition to the glory of God to be known as a Phoebe? That, that in 40, 50, 60 years, 80 years from now, if somebody talks about the life of the church at Odessa and they mention your name, Will they immediately put servant next to it? Is that, how, is, that, is that how they'd think of you? And my challenge is to, to serve. And, and my challenge is to let these characteristics abound in your life regardless of whether you have the title. Don't think, well, if I don't have the title of deacon, it doesn't matter how I live. It absolutely matters, Christian, how you live. You ought to you exhibit... Ladies, these characteristics, you ought to be dignified. You ought not be gossips. You ought to be temperate. You ought to be faithful in all things. Those characteristics are seen all over Scripture, whether they're talking about deacons or not. If you go to Titus 2, all over Scripture. 
Don't let titles keep you from serving. And ladies, I, I'm, I'm blessed by how you, many of you serve. I, I was sitting there on Sunday working on this, and Miss Joan, I don't know if Miss Joan, there's Miss Joan sitting in the back right there hiding. She don't want nobody to know about this, but listen, you all know this, but every single Wednesday, Miss Joan shows up at 345 and gets the whole fellowship hall ready for Wednesday night supper. Sets up the tables, rolls out the white cloth, puts the chafing dishes out, fills them with water, puts the sternos in there. Every, every Wednesday. Tyler not. Why? So that others can do what they're called to do. She does what she does. I think about the, the ladies, whether it's Barbara or Miss Carolyn or whoever, that handle the money on Wednesday nights for the meal. Listen, I think about the nursery workers, how many, how many ladies own that nursery and serve in that nursery week after week, multiple weeks in a row, and, and, and they come to church on Sunday. You know what it means for them? It means service. It means work. How many weeks out of the year they don't get to come in here and sit and worship? Listen. God will repay you for that. He knows that. He's aware of that. I'm aware of that. The gospel is able to go forth because of that. And listen, for five years, the list could go on and on. For five years, ladies have done this year after year after year without a title. My challenge is keep doing it, regardless of a title. You free me up to do what I do in ways that you'll probably never even know. And I, I'll say thank you for that. And I believe that God is honored with that. And in verse 13, he closes with a very, very uh, encouraging and yet challenging for those who have served well as deacons, attained for themselves a high standing and great confidence. And I will tell you, because of that, ladies, if, if I kept the title of deacon from you, and I should have given it to you, I, I'm sorry. I will say that with all sincerity. But there is a great reward for those who serve well, not only as deacons, but those who serve well as Christians. And whether you bear the title of deacon or not, you will be rewarded. And the challenge for every single one of us, but especially deacons, is serve faithfully. Every single day. And yet, for those few that right now, and these, these titles, listen to me, we will have regular rotations as, as deacons, as elders. There's a few men that bear those titles now and come in a couple weeks. We're going to ordain some deacons and they'll bear that title. And a year from now, others will honor them. Encourage them. When they come alongside you and ask you to serve, help them out by serving. They're leading servants. They're organizing the church that we can function properly. And let us, let us be a church, title or not. Let us be a church that's willing, every single one of us, to do whatever it takes to advance the gospel.